So we are still in Isaiah. If you guys are following along with the outline, you're like, wow, we are very behind and we just started. Um, so if you're, if you're doing the homework or you're trying to do some of the extra credit, I actually sent out a new syllabus. If you guys want it, I can print that out and give that to you guys if you want. Um, pretty much what you can do is just move everything back a week. That, that's basically all you're doing. So if it says, you know, I don't know, what is today? November, not November, September, October 9th? Okay, October 9th. If it says October 9th, just realize, okay, that's due on October 16th. Okay, and if it says October 16th, it, that means it's on the 23rd. Does that make sense? If you want a new syllabus, I can, I sent that out to some of you guys, but if you didn't get it, I can print it out. Just come talk to me. I'm, I'm available. You guys can talk to me. You're not imposing or any, disturbing me. So hopefully you guys are enjoying that. Um, if there is anyone coming over from new members, I know that just ended. So um, we're going through the Old Testament, the second half, really spending some time on the prophets, spending a lot of time in Isaiah, and then we'll, we'll move on to some of the other ones and come back to um, you know, some of the more historical books like Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. But that's where we're going. If you're like, what are you talking about? Like, homework, extra credit. You don't have to do any of that. But if you want, um, I think you're going to get most out of the class if you actually do that. So there's some videos on YouTube um, that you can look up. I have notes printed out. If you want the notes, I'll print out every single day um, the notes that we're going to cover this week. But if you want, like, a full binder, so that way you can take notes as you're reading along or reading ahead, you can write down in there. I have three more, so come take them if you want them. I'd be, they're doing nothing sitting on my shelf. So there's more binders. If you want them, I'd be more than happy to give those to you. Um, yeah, looking at the Old Testament, I, I mentioned this week one, um, but sometimes what people will say is, why are we studying the Old Testament? It's not about me. And the simple response that we should have is, well, the Bible isn't about you. The Bible's about God. And so that's why we study the Old Testament, because it's about God. And it's as we learn who God is, we can then rightly live, and we can understand ourselves truly in light of him. So it's good to spend time in the Old Testament. I get really excited about this, so if I talk fast, just, I'm sorry. But we have a lot to cover, and you're already like, dude, we got through Isaiah 6, and we're supposed to get to Isaiah 40. And it's like, yeah, exactly, that's why I'm talking fast. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to get there, just bear with me if you want, I mean, text me, email me, circle back, you've got questions, hey, I'm confused about this. I'm more than happy to do that. And they're recorded online, too. So if you go on the church website, you missed a week, something like that, they're online. Um, and so you can listen to those. And I'd, I'd highly recommend that, actually, if you're jumping in, because um, the beginning chapters of Isaiah are just vital for, for where we're going. So, yeah, no stupid questions or, or anything like that. Um, I just want to encourage you guys. I'm learning along with you. So I was just reminded, um, I was reading parts of, um, I don't know if I have it marked in here, um, Ezra. And I was just like, man, I know I've read this, but I forgot about this. Ezra 5 begins, now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. You're like, so what? Well, it helps a lot to know, oh, this is actually the context that when we get to the minor prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, what they're writing is. And it's just like, well, how do we know that? Well, literally just because Ezra 5.1 tells us. And, and, and I know it's like, well, that's, come on, Caleb, how do you, how do you not know that? It's like, well, hey, I'm learning along with you guys. I forget that stuff. But when you see that, Write that down. Go, oh, okay. Ezra 5.1, that's right. Oh, Zechariah, this is the context. And this is very, very significant. The reason why I mentioned this is that one of the key themes we're, we're talking about is the restoration of Israel to the promised land is that Zechariah is written during and after the return from exile. 
to the Lamb? If that's the case, why then is Zechariah still talking about some future restoration to the Lamb? Does that make sense? Well, if we've returned to the land, why is he still talking so much about the land? Is because has Israel actually really returned from exile? No. Right? And this actually makes significance out of, we'll get to this, but the New Testament passages talking about this, the elect saints who are in exile, God's people are still in exile to this day. We have not yet returned. And so that, that's just one thing, just to encourage you guys. I miss stuff like that. Just Ezra 5, Haggai and Zechariah. And so that gives a lot of significance of context going forward. So all that is introduction, and you're like, Caleb, let's go. We got to get going here. Okay, we're on point three, revealing Messiah. You guys see that? Point three, page three in your notes. Last week, we, we spent time in the early chapters of Isaiah, okay? He's writing. Um, Assyria is on the horizon. Judgment is coming, and the reason for it is Israel's sin, right? They have failed to uphold their side of the covenant, right? If you remember Isaiah 1, he's just listing all these things. He goes in Isaiah 1, hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. He's going back to Deuteronomy. The, the, the partners in the covenant, the witnesses, actually, they are bearing witness. It's kind of this courtroom scene. They are guilty. They are sinful, all right? Your, your, your new moons and your appointed feasts, all these things, your vain offerings, my soul hates. And you come over to chapter 2, there's this Glorious picture of hope. So you have this key theme. This is all throughout Isaiah. John Oswald is pretty much the foremost uh, commentator on Isaiah. And he says, bar none, this is the dominant theme in Isaiah. Judgment and hope. Judgment and hope. It's every single chapter. Judgment is coming, but there is hope. And you see that in Isaiah 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord. So he, he's looking forward. And we looked at all the texts before that were pointing to that. And it's not just for Israel. Get that? It's for all the nations, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come. So there's hope that God will dwell amongst his people. But then you come to the end of chapter 2, and what does it say? Their land is filled with silver and gold. Their land is filled with um, horses, and there's no end to their chariots. And then finally, their land is filled with idols. And that's significant when we come over to Isaiah 6, what Mike is actually going to preach on this morning, when Isaiah says, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of God's glory. He's not talking about the present. Because at the present time, the land is filled with what? Idols, sinfulness, right? So Isaiah is looking to the future. So you see this judgment, hope, judgment, hope throughout 1 to 6. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that lecture. But then Isaiah 6 ends with this, this, Isaiah, you're going to preach judgment until judgment comes. The whole forest of Israel, he's, he's speaking, you know, um, symbolically here, the forest of Israel is going to be chopped down. Then you come to the very last line of chapter 6, verse 13, the holy seed is in its stump. And so there's hope. There's hope that not just a seed, but a holy seed, a seed that is not like Israel because they are not holy. This is a holy seed. And this goes back to, oh, I forgot to mention this, and I need to. Sorry, Isaiah 5, the vineyard, right? You remember that? Silly songs with Isaiah? Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. And I mentioned this, but I, I want to circle back to this because this is important. So Jesus picks up on this in the New Testament with the parable of the tenants, right? You know, he, he talks about my vineyard, and he leased it out. And, you know, the servants, the people, they, they killed the servants. And then finally, when the, the owner of the vineyard comes, he's going to judge servants. Okay, so Jesus is drawing from Isaiah 5. 
but not, no, not only in the parable of the tenants, also John 15. Remember John 15? What does Jesus say? I am the true vine. Okay? He's not just picking up a random, oh, he's just talking about a tree. No, he's going back to Isaiah 5. And he's saying that Jesus is and stands for and represents everything that Israel was supposed to be. I'm the true vine. Now, there's a big difference between saying that, that, you know, he represents and succeeds everywhere Israel failed. That's not to say that Israel somehow just ceases to exist as a nation or people group. You see what I'm saying? He's saying, yeah, I represent and stand for everything that they should have been, but Israel still continues. Israel is still a nation and still a people group, okay? I mean, that's the only way you, you, you have to make sense of the rest of the New Testament. And so we'll get back to that, but I, I forgot to mention that last week, and that is important. I am the true vine. Okay, Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7. And I think I have, what did I do here? I can't remember. Nope, that's Isaiah 9. We'll get to that eventually. Isaiah 7, you guys had some videos on this, right? You had Shriner talking about it, and then you had Bolin. So if you notice that, there's, they're, they're not saying the same thing. Um, Isaiah 7 is probably, probably the most um, debated Old Testament passage in the Old Testament. Uh, passage in the Old Testament. And th- there's, I'm not going to go into that because we'd be here for the whole morning and probably next morning. So I refer you to those videos. I think Bolin is correct in his interpretation. Um, and he's great. He was one of my professors. Love the guy. Um, and so I think he does an excellent job. He spends about 45 minutes talking about Isaiah 7:14. So if you want more on that, go listen to that. I'm going to walk through it real quick. Basically what you have is you have uh, Isaiah's vision in chapter 6 of God, and you come down to Isaiah 7, and he's shifting over to now the son of Uzziah, right? In the days of, ah- this is Isaiah 7 verse 1, in the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah. So you have about a five-year time leap, okay? And he's leaping forward, and he's saying, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, so this is the northern kingdom of Israel, is in cahoots with Syria, okay? They're working together, and they're waging war against Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, okay? That's the context of what's going on. So Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom, are waging war against Judah, the southern kingdom. You guys tracking with me? Okay. Comes down, can't mount an attack against it. Um, the house of David was told Syria's in league with Ephraim. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest um, shake before the wind. And basically, Isaiah says in verse 4, hey, don't worry about this. Don't, don't worry about it. And I like the, the picture he does, the picture he gives us here. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrand. He's like, hey, they're the last two burning twigs in the fire. Like, they're, they're dying out. They're, they're, they're on the way down, right? Don't worry about these guys, okay? And you come over to, this. I'm in Isaiah 7.10 now, Isaiah 7.10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And you're like, wow, that sounds great. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. But contextually, if you guys are, are reading the same place, 2 Kings 16 is the same narrative going on here. And what happens there is, whoa, why is Ahaz not doing this? Because he's actually already sent messengers to the king of Assyria saying, hey, come help me. He is trusting in Assyria and not in God's prophet Isaiah. He's not trusting God. Okay? 
So this is not good. Ahaz, not a good guy. Okay, This is not what we want. He doesn't trust Yahweh. He asks Assyria to come save him. Yes. He doesn't trust him. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he's pretty much, he's trying to sound high and holy. Oh, I will not do this. Well, the reason why he's not is because he's, trust, he's already said, hey, Assyria, please come help me. And so what Isaiah says, this is verse 13. He said, hear then, O house of David, and this is key, I think, for interpreting this passage, is who's the oracle for? Not directly Ahaz. It's for the whole house of David. So even Isaiah's prophecy of what he's going to say was intended, and this is the amazing thing about Scripture, is that it's not intended just for Ahaz. It's intended for who? The whole house of David. So the kings to come after. So in other words, this is a prophecy for not just the present, but also for the future. You guys need to live in light of this. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So again, and this is, I think, key, the the two-beat drum, if you want to say this throughout Isaiah, is what? Judgment, hope, judgment, hope, judgment, hope. What's coming now, Ahaz, because you failed to trust in Yahweh? What's coming? Judgment. But the virgin will conceive and bear a son. What's going to come on the other side of judgment? Hope. You guys see the difference there? That, that's, that's vital, I think, to interpreting it. So he goes on and he says, you know, he shall eat, the, the son, Emmanuel, shall eat curds and honey. It's poor people food. Well, why is he eating it? Because the king of Assyria is coming. Verse 17. There's going to be judgment. The land is going to be laid waste. And that's why he's going to eat curds and honey. And you see that down at the verse, end of verse 22. Everyone who's left in the land will eat curds and honey. And then you have Isaiah 8 with the birth of Maharshalal Hashbaz. Great name. That's what we're going to name our son if we have one. Um, no, just kidding. It's a horrible name. Um, and pretty much what Maharshalal Hashbaz is, is judgment is coming right now. So if Isaiah 7 is the hope of Emmanuel, Isaiah 8 is saying the judgment is coming. So then you come to Isaiah 9, and that's when I have the slide here. And this is another reason why I would argue for Emmanuel, the prophecy of Emmanuel, not being fulfilled in Isaiah's day with Maharshal Hashbaz. If you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, watch the videos I told you. The reason why is context, the greater context of Isaiah. Because Isaiah 9, he goes into what? I mean, we have this up in the back right over there, right? Yeah. For to us, a child is born. This is Isaiah 9, 6. This isn't what I have up on this. Oh, I didn't know it is. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Okay, he's going to be the king. This child going to be born, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. This isn't just some dude. This is God with us. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So he goes on, right? So who's coming? The Davidic king who's going to bring hope. You also see, if you guys notice this in uh, 9.1, actually 9.2, excuse me, uh, 9 verse 2. By the way, this is a class where you want to have your Bible open, right? Because I'm, I'm just going boom, 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 because we don't have enough time. So I'm going through, just turn the pages with me. Isaiah 9.2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shown. Does that remind you guys of anything maybe in the New Testament? It's quoted in Matthew 4, right? Fulfilled in Jesus. Those who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. It's Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 10, we're moving fast because we have to. Isaiah 10, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. Verse 3, what will you do on the day of judgment? Is he talking about, verse 5, ah, Assyria. I love this passage. Ah, Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation, and here he's talking about Israel, I send him. And against the people of my wrath, I command him. This is, and then verse 7, but he's not so intent. And his heart does not so think, but it is in his heart to destroy. What's God saying? He's sovereign over Assyria, a pagan sinful nation. Even his heart doesn't even understand what he's doing. But I am going to use him to judge my people. And then Isaiah 10 verse 15, shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? Or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? As if a rod should wield him who lifts it. Or as if a staff should let him who is not wood lift him who is not wood. Verse 16, therefore the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors and under his glory a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire. So God is going to use Assyria to judge Israel and then because they're so sinful and arrogant, he's going to judge Assyria. He's just doing whatever he wants. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's going to use a sinful nation to destroy a sinful nation and then he's going to destroy that sinful nation. Come over to verse 20, chapter 10, Isaiah verse 20. This is where we start to see, yeah, we're following along. It's kind of remnant theology. And hopefully you guys are seeing this. We're reading a lot of Isaiah, and you're going to be like, that sounds a lot like that passage in the New Testament. So the New Testament authors quote from the Psalms, Deuteronomy, and Isaiah the most. Those are the top three books. Okay, And pretty much, I don't really know of a New Testament book that doesn't quote or allude to Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah is your Bible in miniature. I've already said that. But Isaiah 10, verse 20, In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. In truth, a remnant will return. The remnant of Jacob. So a remnant on the other side of judgment. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, going back to the Abrahamic covenant, the promise for multitude of of descendants, only a remnant of them will return. Why? Because destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. So you see this judgment and righteousness, judgment and hope. See how those just go hand in hand throughout? The Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. You see a coming new exodus, right? Verse 26, Isaiah 10, verse 26. And the Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip as when he struck Midian, at the rock of Oreb, which that's a, an allusion to Judges, by the way, right? Gideon, Judges 7, just like that deliverance God is going to deliver, and it's going to be even greater than that. Second half of verse 26, and his staff will be over the sea, and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. So there's going to be a what? A second exodus. There's going to be a greater and second exodus in that day. And again, he picks back up with this language of... Um, you know, the forest being chopped down at the end of chapter 10, verse 34. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. Chapter 11, this is a glorious chapter. We can't get into everything. 
But it's that same thing. Judgment. The forest is going to be chopped down. But guess what? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is whose father? David. Davidic line. We've already seen that in Isaiah 4.2. This language of seed. This language of stump. A shoot from the stump of Jesse will arise. And, and get this. Verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Whoa, so this is the Davidic king, and also the Holy Spirit is upon him. See that in the baptism of, of Jesus in the Jordan. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Kind of sounds like what? Psalm anyone, right? Psalm 2. He's going to dash, the, 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 the Messiah is going to dash the nations with a rod of iron. And also, if you're remembering Revelation 19, right? The sword comes out of his mouth, and we're actually going to see that again in Isaiah. So we see all this theology being built. He's not going to be like Israel. He is righteous. The Spirit of the Lord is going to allow him to have wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, the knowledge. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And, verse, uh, let me see, I don't, have, I don't know what slide I've got here. Okay, yeah. I'll skip forward. Read a lot of Isaiah 11, because it's amazing, okay? Um, but he's looking forward to this day when, um, I have to say stuff, um, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. It's like the garden of Eden. All the animals are restored. Everything's great. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. What does that sound like? Isaiah 2, right? In that day, the mountain of the house of the Lord, it's the same vision. He's talking about the same thing. Flip over. Isaiah 11, the second half of verse 9, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. See, he's expanding what Isaiah 6 is talking about. When the whole earth is full of God's glory, it's the same thing. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, not just Israel, but for the Gentiles as well. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, and here, nope, I'm still further down. Just follow along with me. Verse 11, in that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. Even all the way to the coastlands, he will raise a signal for the nations, will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed from Judah and for the four corners of the earth. Come down, verse 15, and this is on the screen. Verse 15, this is a clear allusion to the first exodus and that there's going to be a second one for God's people. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels and he will lead people across in sandals and there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. There's going to be a what? A second exodus. There's going to be another one for God's people. And how is this going to be done? Chapter 12, verse 6. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So God will dwell amongst his people. God will do this work, okay? We're moving fast. Turn the page, 13, chapter 13. Judging the nations. Judging the nations. So again, I've said this, but it's not just for Israel. God's plan is not just for Israel. It's for all the nations. And this is where, so contextually, I'm trying to give you guys some help. When you go back to read Isaiah, what's going on? So in 13, we kind of have this shift. 
to, to this, what's he going to do with all the nations? And you're going to see this, right? The oracle concerning Babylon. And then you flip over, I'm going to come back, just listen. Verse 15, an oracle concerning Moab. You come over to chapter 17, an oracle concerning Damascus. Oracle concerning Cush, oracle concerning Egypt. So he's just going through systematically what God's going to do, not just for Israel, but for the whole earth, for all the nations. It's an exhaustive program. There's no stone unturned, you could say. But notice this. Chapter 13, he starts with what nation? The oracle concerning Babylon. Who's the main threat that we just talked about in Isaiah 7? Who's the main nation that they are told to worry about? Assyria, right? Like, Babylon is not on the scene yet. Like, wouldn't you think, okay, Assyria's the coming, they're, they're, they're the ones we need to worry about, so we need to talk about Assyria. What does he do? He talks about Babylon. So I think already Isaiah is cluing us in on who's the real threat that they need to worry about. Babylon. And we're going to see that flushed out. Chapter 13. Um, I don't need to talk about this because I can't. Um, Babylon, read it later. <laughs> uh, judgment is coming for them. He's going to take care of them. They will be dismayed. I will punish the world for its evil. Um, chapter 14 talks about how, again, it's the same thing, judgment, hope. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob. This is chapter 14. And will again choose Israel. He's going to set them in their own land. And sojourners will join them. So not just Israel, but other people, the Gentiles. And hopefully in the weeks to come, I'll mention why that's so important. Chapter 15, an oracle concerning Moab. Chapter 17, oracle concerning Damascus. 18, Cush. 19, Egypt. Look at the end of uh, chapter 19. I think this is my next slide. Yeah. End of chapter 19. Verse 23. In that day, which, by the way, we've already heard that language in Isaiah 11, right? In that day. Verse 23, in that day, there will be a highway. Same thing, we already heard about that in Isaiah 11, right? God's saying he's going to make a highway from Assyria for his people to come back. Look at this here. Isaiah 19, verse 23, in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. Whoa. Verse 24, in that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts is blessing. Blessed be Israel, my people. No, blessed be Egypt, my people. I mean, the Old Testament, God does not call Egypt his people. Who's his people? Israel. But Isaiah is looking forward to a day when not only Israel, but all the nations will come to know the Lord. Do you guys see that? Egypt, blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. But you see, what's he saying? A blessing in the midst of the earth. So the nation of Israel is going to be a light for all the nations to come and worship, which sounds a lot like Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Israel's supposed to be a what? A kingdom of priests for the sake of all the other nations. Well, Isaiah is saying that day is still to come. God's agenda will not be thwarted. He still moves on. So you see that at the end there, chapter 19. Chapter 21, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Wait a minute. Didn't we already talk about Babylon? We did. 
but he puts Babylon at the beginning and at the end to even accentuate who's the threat, who's the big bad wolf? Babylon. Watch out for Babylon. And notice this, Isaiah 21, verse 9. Behold, here come riders, horsemen, and pairs, and he answered, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Does that remind anyone of anything? Revelation. It's mentioned twice in Revelation 14 and 18. So that theology is already, that John picks up on in Revelation is already being laid in Isaiah. When is that going to come? Fallen, fallen is Babylon. I would argue, which by the way, Babylon, it's just the same word for Babel, right? In Genesis, Tower of Babel, it's the same thing. Babel, Babylon. The way Isaiah and the Old Testament authors really use Babel and Babylon is, yes, it was a literal nation with, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, all these guys, okay? Yes, nation, but also symbolic as what I would pit up as the city of God, Jerusalem, and the city of man, okay? And you see that really fleshed out in Revelation. Symbolic for all of the, what do you say, the worldly powers, the worldly city of evilness, for lack of better words, okay? And I think you really see that brought out in Isaiah. Chapter 22, an oracle concerning Jerusalem. There's some amazing stuff in there that we can't talk about. Um, Isaiah 23, oracle concerning Tyre. And then 24 to 27. I've got to spend some time on this because this is really cool. Isaiah 24, 25, 26, and 27. Just, I don't know, highlight it, write it down, just somewhere in your notes, just say, wow, this is important. Okay. Isaiah 24, 27. It's, it's like a mini apocalypse. It's like revelation in miniature form. Isaiah 24, chapters 24 through 27. And look at how he begins Isaiah 24, verse 1. Do I have this on the screen? Uh, No, I don't. It's coming up. Isaiah 24, verse 1. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth. Why does he need to empty it? Because what's it filled with? Idols. It's filled with sinfulness. If, If the earth is going to be full with the glory of God, as Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 11 talk about, what does he need to do? He needs to empty it. He needs to empty it. So that's what he's going to do. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. Chapter 24, verse 3, the earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. I'm going to judge not only Israel and the other nations, Egypt and Assyria and Cush. I'm going to judge the whole earth, and I'm going to cleanse it. I'm going to empty it so that I can fill it with my glory. There's judgment, but there's hope, right? And notice this. This is, I get a, I just, I got to talk about this because it's important, okay? People talk about how Revelation 20 is the only place where the millennial reign of Christ is mentioned, okay? And that's true. It is mentioned there. But guess what? It's also mentioned right here. Verse 21 of Isaiah 24. On that day, the Lord will punish the hosts of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit, They will be shut up in a prison. Okay, what does that sound like? When the Lord comes in judgment and then he puts Satan uh, in prison for a thousand years, and then after that he's released, look at this, they'll be shut up in a prison, and after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. I I think John is just picking up on Isaiah 24. And he's filling in exactly when that's going to happen. Again, I mentioned this. The prophets were not stupid, which I think a lot of people will do going to 1 Peter 1 and say, look, they, they were inquiring. They didn't know 
when the signs of the Messiah, his sufferings, and when his glory was going to come, they didn't know when, but they knew what they were talking about. Does that make sense? They knew what they were saying. They didn't know when. And it's when we come to the New Testament that a lot of that is splashed out. Okay, here is when. And Isaiah 24 through 27 clues us in on that. Chapter 25, we can't spend a lot of time there because I'm trying to get to chapter 40 this morning. Um, On this mountain, you see this three times in Isaiah 25. Verse 6, on this mountain. Verse 7, he will swallow up on this mountain. And also again in verse 10, but notice this. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. What does that sound like? Revelation, the very end of Revelation, and also 1 Corinthians 15, right? When uh, uh, Paul is kind of writing out redemptive history in 1 Corinthians 15, and he talks about how when the Lord will swallow up death forever. Paul and John, where are they going? Isaiah 25. They're drawing out that theology that's already there. They're laying that foundation um, 26, same thing, 27, well, actually, no, 26, this is cool. 26, verse 19. 26, verse 19. It's already talking about a resurrection. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. A physical resurrection. It's not new when we come to the New Testament completely. They're drawing on the Old Testament. Chapter 27, verse 1, in that day, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. I think he's alluding to Genesis 3.15. He will slay the dragon that is in the sea. It's also picked up in Revelation. Get this, verse 2. This is why I talk about vineyard stuff. You're like, why are you talking about vines, man? 27, verse 2, in that day, a pleasant vineyard. There's going to be a reversal of Isaiah chapter 5. This wicked vineyard that leads sinful grapes going to be judged, and on the other side of judgment, what's coming? A pleasant vineyard. Israel will finally be exactly what God intended for them to to be. 27 verse 6, in days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Come to the end of chapter 27. What do I have here? Oh, no. 27, in that day from the river Euphrates, to the book of Egypt, just write this down, he's going back to Genesis 15, when the Lord gives actually the, um, uh, the specific land that Abra- in the Abrahamic covenant, the land that they're going to possess. He talks about from the river Euphrates to the river of Egypt. He's picking up, Isaiah's picking up on that here. In that day, verse 13, a great trumpet will be blown, and those who are lost in the land of Assyria and those who are driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. So we see throughout the, these first uh, 27 chapters, judgment and hope. There's hope in the seed, the seed of Jesse. He's going to be the king. The spirit will rest upon him. There's hope because God will gather his people back together at his mountain in Israel, Mount Zion, and all the nations will flow. All the nations will come, not just Israel, but all the Gentiles as well. Okay, chapter 28. Next one down, okay? We're going to get there. We're, we're, we're cruising, man. We are cruising. 28. Chapter 28. This is really interesting. Chapter 28. So if, he, if, he's, giving, if he's giving this, um, you know, judgment is coming and all this stuff, okay? Kind of looking at the future for the nations. The next few chapters are kind of looking at the present, okay? So if the previous section 
13 to 27 was the future. Here's what's going to happen. 27 to, well, pretty much 39, talking about the present, okay? Future, present, okay? And here's what's going on, verse, chapter 28, verse 1. The proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. The drunkards of Israel. They're not good guys. They're drunk. That's what he's saying. And this is really cool. What, uh, Dr. Chow pointed this out. In, cha- in uh, 28, verse 10, this is the people of Israel uh, mocking Isaiah. Chapter 28, verse 10. Isaiah says, For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And you're like, wow, that sounds beautiful. In Hebrew, literally sounds like this. It sounds like blah, 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 blah. People of Israel are mocking the prophet. They're mocking him. And I put that up because you guys can kind of even see that, right? You're like, what in the world is that? I even highlighted it. But you can even see how it kind of looks the same, right? Those first four words, right? This is what it says. Oh, oh, wow. Disappeared. They didn't like me mocking them. Oh, it's a bummer. But anyways, it's, uh, it's not good. They're, they're, they're mocking him. Let me see if I can get back here. Sorry about that. I don't know why it doesn't like me for some reason. It's just, anyways. So they're, they're, they're mocking him, okay? The, the drunkards of Israel. They're mocking him like little children. Nah, 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 blah, 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 blah. So precept upon precept, line upon line, it just doesn't really bring that out very well, okay? It's not, it's not, uh, it's not elegant. Yeah, okay. So I got to move fast, but that's okay. Um, 28, he's working through. Israel is sinful. He warns them. And uh, throughout this section, do not go down to Egypt. Don't trust in horses and chariots. Don't trust in them. Pr- uh, trust in the Lord. Um, yeah, that's chapter 31. Um, 31, 8, God will judge Assyria as promised. This is Isaiah 31, verse 8. The Assyrian shall fall by the sword, not of man, and a sword, not of man, shall devour him. He shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be put to forced labor. Chapter 32, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. There is hope. Judgment is coming, but there is hope. Verse 15, until the Spirit, God's Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. A fruitful field is deemed a forest, so that hacked down forest will be rebuilt. And the Spirit is poured out. Then justice will dwell. Righteousness will abide. The effect of righteousness will be peace. The result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. Chapter 33, verse 5, he's going to fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the stability of your times and abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. There is hope. God will preserve Jerusalem. He's going to preserve a remnant in light of coming judgment. Point six, salvation work in the present. Chapter 36, you there? Chapter 36. (coughs) Isaiah 36. By the way, you just go to 2 Kings 18, it's the exact same parallel. You're like, wow, this sounds exactly like 2 Kings 18, because it is, okay? This is the prophetic commentary on that period. Isaiah 36, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah. Okay, he's the son of Ahaz, okay? So Ahaz and Isaiah 7, did he trust in the Lord? No, he trusted in Assyria. Okay, 
Chapter 36. Next dude up. Hezekiah, what you going to do? Will he succeed where his father didn't? I love this, and this is why I mention, you know, vine stuff. Because I think I, yeah. This is chapter 36, verse 16. This is the, um, the Rab Shekah, which is basically uh, a Syrian general, leader, okay? And this is what he says to Hezekiah. Do not, or, yeah, do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria. He's talking to the people of Israel. Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig tree. I love this. Because it's, it's like coincidence, but it isn't because it's God's word. Do you see what's going on here? The king of Assyria is saying, hey, if you trust in me, you're going to eat of your own vine and of your own fig tree. I put up here, this is 1 Kings chapter 4. 1 Kings chapter 4 is important. This is talking about how great everything was in Solomon's day. It says, and Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And it's almost like the king of Assyria is like, is saying, Israel, if you trust in me, it's going to be like the good old days. It's going to be like the glorious days that you had with King Solomon. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. But God is going to act for his own namesake. You see Hezekiah's prayer for deliverance in chapter 37, verse 16, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of all the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, which he has sent to mock the living God. And here's what he says in chapter 37, verse 35. God says, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake. I'm going to do this, not because you are so righteous, but because of my own name's sake and for the sake of my servant David. And what he's saying there is, yes, it's for my own namesake, which will not be profaned among the nations, but also because my plan, my plan that I have for the house of David, ultimately the plan that I have for my son, Jesus, I am going to act. And here, I think this is the next one. Yep, this is amazing. Isaiah 37, 36, and the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. If I didn't, I didn't mention this, but Assyria comes around and encamps laying siege to Jerusalem a massive army, and Jerusalem is stuck, okay? And Hezekiah cries out for deliverance, and this is what the Lord does. He struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When people rose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. And Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nishroch, his god, Adramelech and uh, Sherezer, his son struck him down with the sword, right? So, the, the, the sword that was boasting in Isaiah 10, judgment came upon them. Judgment came upon Assyria. So God delivers. This is amazing. Chapter 39. Oh, boy. At that time, this is verse 1, Isaiah 39. At that time, Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of <gasps> Babylon's on the scene. Isaiah 13, chapter 20, and in, in, uh, Isaiah 13, 27, what's the nation to watch out for? Babylon's on the scene. Oh, this is not good. Verse 2, and Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. Ooh, ooh. And you can see why he 
shows them around all his glories. He welcomes them, basically makes a treaty with them. Isaiah 39, verse 5, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried off to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. Babylon's on the scene. God saved them from Assyria, which he told them, don't worry about. Watch out for Babylon. Babylon's on the scene. Judgment is coming. You are going to be taken into exile. Okay, so we got exactly where I wanted to be. Five minutes late. That's okay. If chapters 1 to 39 are detailing what's going to happen, judgment and hope, you could say chapters 40 to 66 are the how that's going to happen. How that's going to happen. You have a question real quick? Yes, go. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Real quick. Yeah, it's actually kind of ironic. The Valley of Vision, which is an amazing Puritan devotional, it's not actually super great. <laughs> because, no, the title is great. I love Valley of Vision. But what the Valley of Vision actually stands for is the fact that Israel can't see. They're blind. Isaiah 22, verse 11, the second half. But you did not look to him who did it or see him who planned it long ago. I, I didn't mention this as much as I should have, but especially throughout, well, we're going to see this in the servant song in, in the next section of Isaiah, but Israel is blind. They cannot see. And the glorious thing is that God, through his servant, you guys remember the suffering servant, right? Isaiah 53, I'm already giving you a preview of coming attractions, right? That's not the only mention of the servant in Isaiah. We're going to look at some very important passages. But he is the one who can see. He is the one who succeeds where Israel failed. And he is the one who is going to enable his people to see. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, value, it's, it's interesting that it's not actually, I don't know where the title of that book came from, but Isaiah 22 is not actually overwhelmingly positive um, because Israel cannot see. So we're running out of time. If you've got questions, please come talk to me. I'd love to. I know that was fast, but hey, we're moving along. We're moving along. So if you want to watch next week's videos, it should be the second half of Isaiah. I think it's just one. And you're dismissed.